I'm going to read Hebrews 11, 13 to 16, and then the last two verses, 39 and 40. And then we'll pray. Hebrews 11, 13. All these people, it's looking back, so Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And then verse 39 these were all commended for their faith, yet, not, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect, or we could say complete. Let's pray. Father, I I want to thank you for this, like it says in Hebrews 12, 1, the the next verse, for this cloud of witnesses, these people of faith in the Old Testament that uh, are just a wonderful examples and encouragements to us to be people of faith ourselves to be people who know you and and because we really know you we're confident in you and we have convictions about you that change our lives and change the world that we relate to father even as we come into this week and we're we're and we're reminded to be thankful and often we aren't father we're we're so thankful uh, just for how good you are and Father, even as Daniel preached last week for how good you are, whether it looks good on the outside or whether it looks hard or challenging or painful on the outside, God, you are good. And you work all things together for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And so, Father, uh, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth that it provides a rock, a foundation upon which to build our lives. And so teach us again this morning, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Heaven is for real. A little boy's astounding story of his trip to heaven and back. How many of you read the book or watched the movie? Okay, thanks. The um, it was a New York Times bestseller, 2010, written by the father of 
Colton Burpo, um, if I'm pronouncing that right, um, of Colton's experiences that he relates um, from visits that he made to heaven during a near-death experience when he was four years old. Um, by April 2012, over one million e-books had been sold. And uh, just recently, a movie was put out at the beginning of this year. And um, you can get it on Redbox, if you want. <laughs> um, heaven is obviously a popular topic. What's going to come after us? What is there? Um, well, it's a popular topic with some because this is a quote from Susan Jacoby, who's a self-proclaimed atheist and secularist. And writing as the spirited atheist, that was her little um, title, in the Washington Post's On Faith Forum. I'm not sure how the On Faith Forum part fits, but this is what she said about the book's commercial success. It attests to the prevalence of unreason among vast numbers of Americans. It attests to the prevalence of unreason among the vast numbers of Americans. So on the one hand, there's millions of Americans reading and watching this account of uh, a little boy's experience. And then there's an atheist who says... It's absolutely irrational or ridiculous to believe such a thing. So the question we're going to look at this morning is we come to the end of Hebrews 11 here, and, and living by faith, we're, we're coming to this question of heaven. Is it unreasonable or is it reality? Which one? And, and I want us to think beyond just ourselves because I'm sure that probably the majority of you who are here this morning believe in heaven. There might be some that don't. But I want you to think beyond yourselves. And, and I, w I was talking with, met, met with a friend this, this week who um, does not believe in heaven, does not believe in hardly anything I believe in, um, and loves um, actually the 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 CEO of another nonprofit in the community and loves to um, in a loving way make fun of me as a pastor um, and we have a great relationship and um, but for her this idea of heaven is absolutely ridiculous as it is for probably a huge percentage of the people that we relate to during the week and so as we, as, as we look at this these last verses in, in Hebrews 11 here, I want us to be thinking really critically the reality of heaven. Is it, is it a reality and why is it a reality or is it a ridiculous thing? Um, in Philippians 3:18 through 20, kind of Paul says that heaven is where our citizenship is. It's from where we eagerly await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I, as I read that verse again this week, I thought of my passport. <laughs> it says I'm a citizen of the United States of America, and I am. But I'm also a citizen of heaven. And how many of us actually 
you know, we say that we believe in heaven, but how many of us actually, it's a reality. A reality that from, from, from that place from which we're eagerly looking forward uh, someday for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come from. One of the questions that challenged me years ago was, if we're not eagerly looking forward to heaven, we're so absorbed with the reality of earth, why would we even want to be there? If earth is really what captures our hearts right now. And yet that's where our citizenship is. And yet Carl Sagan, um, who was the very famous um, person on the Cosmos television series, these are his words. And in direct opposition to Philippians 3, Philippians 3.18, he says... And these are the words he said every time. The cosmos, and for him the cosmos meant matter, that's it. Is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be. There's no room for heaven there. The cosmos is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be. What you see is what you get, that's it. Which is it? So as I mentioned, as over the last several weeks, we've been looking at faith. And, and I, if we could get this phrase that we've repeated over and over again, it, to me it's so key that faith is, is a confidence in God. It's a conviction about God because we really know God. Because of our understanding of God, because we understand him, we're confident about him and we have a conviction about him that, that changes our lives and the way we live our lives. And so we looked at a lot of people. We looked at uh, Abel, that because of being a man of faith, he gave God his best. Enoch, he lived for eternity and for God's pleasure. Noah, because he was a man of faith, he wasn't influenced by the world's way of thinking. And we're, we're going to talk about that this morning because the world's way of thinking dramatically impacts our thinking about what comes after death. Abraham, because he was a man of faith, he went wherever God led, and it was to a place he didn't even know about. Faith accepts disgrace for the name of Jesus. If we're confident about him, then we're willing to accept disgrace for him. And it seeks the glory of God, not personal glory. And so as we come today it's that faith is certain about eternity or we could say faith being a person of faith provides a certainty about eternity Um, and not just in the by and by but something that we're so certain about that it 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 impacts how we live our lives now not just something that we're expecting will happen after we die Do you have a certainty about eternity? And just back to Philippians chapter 3, are we, do we get that we're citizens of heaven? We're not just inhabitants of earth. Um, So if you look with me at Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to look at three, three questions as we look at these verses. The first is, 
you know, as I read these verses earlier, it's really incredible. I mean, these are, as it's talking about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, and it, and it talks about, it says, you know, people who say the things that they're saying, that they were foreigners and strangers on earth, um, they're, they're looking for a country of their own, meaning it, it wasn't the promised land, it wasn't the land of Canaan, and it wasn't where they'd come from, but, but a better country, a heavenly one. I mean, it's incredible as, you, as we, these Old Testament believers who knew just a fraction of what we know, and that's what we're going to look at when we come to verses 39 and 40. But they knew just a fraction of what we, we know. What was it that made them so convinced, so certain about this heavenly country? Why was heaven so real to them? And so the second question is, why is heaven, on the contrary, not so real to us so often? Why was it so real to them, and why is it often not so real to us? And then the third question, how can it become real to us? Um, if you have your Bibles, why was heaven so real to them? Go back to the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11. And, and there's three things that I, I just want to summarize. Three things. The first reason why heaven was so real to them. Um, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 again. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance or conviction about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And this is the verse. By faith, because of their faith, they understood, or we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And then drop down to verse 6, and it says, And without faith it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Three things that I think were foundational and are foundational to why heaven was so real to them. The first one is because God was real to them. God was real to them. Verse 3, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. God was real to them. Um, the second thing is, is that, and, and, and it's in that phrase I read, that creation was real to them. They believed in God, that there was a God, like it says in verse 6, that he exists, that he wasn't an illusion, he wasn't made up, he wasn't imaginary that God was real, that he exists, and that the world exists, what we see around us, because God brought it into being. That the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. That matter isn't eternal, but that God is eternal and that God, outside of time, created space and time and matter. Um, so God was real to them. Creation was real to them. And the last thing, in, in, and we see this in verse 6, and then we, we see it as we continue on, is that the promise 
was real to them. Verse 6, again, it says, Anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That God is who he says he is and that God will do what he said he will do. And, and, and the promise that he made way back in Genesis chapter 3.15 was very real to them. I believe it was passed on to them from parents to children, from those children to their next. It was passed on to them. And we see that in, in a real way that, that that's what they were looking for. They were looking for the promise. The one who would come and would deal with sin and would deal with the curse and, and the one through whom they could be back in right relationship with God. And we see this the first time, I think, in, in verse 4. It says, By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous. He wasn't commended by God as righteous because he brought a good sacrifice, but because he brought that sacrifice acknowledging that his hope was in the seed and his righteousness, his being able to be back in right relationship with God was because of the promise that he was looking forward to. And we see it again in verse 7, by faith Noah, when warned about things not seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By faith he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. And so for these Old Testament believers who, like I said, just knew a fraction of what we knew, what we know. For them, they knew God existed. They knew that the world was in existence because of that God, and that God had made a promise. And that promise, they believed, was real and was going to come true. And that's what they look forward to, the promised one and the heavenly country, heaven that he was going to provide for them. I think that's why heaven was so real to them. They, that foundation was firm. Why is heaven not so real to us today? I, I think it's because we have a different starting point, a different foundation in our, in our country, in, in our culture. Um, I'm, I'm going to read you just some quotes. Uh, these, these are quotes um, that, you know, you can Google them and get them off the Internet. But these are quotes by Richard Dawkins. Anybody know the name Richard Dawkins? You guys need to read a little bit more. The, um, he wrote a book called The God Delusion. And Richard Dawkins is probably the most famous living atheist in the world today. Um, he he's from England, lives in England. He was a um, Cambridge professor, a brilliant scientist, and the most outspoken atheist in the world today. Um, being um, this is why heaven, I believe, in our world is not so real to many of us. This is what he says. These are just, I'm going to read several quotes. He says, I am against religion because it teaches us to be satisfied with not understanding the world. So religion means ignorance. One of the truly bad effects of religion is that it teaches us that it is a virtue to be satisfied with not understanding. 
And I'll just let you know, friend, these are kind of offensive to me because <laughs> I've done a lot of graduate and postgraduate studies, so understanding is important to me. Um, this, this hits really on what we're talking about right now. It says, be thankful that you have a life and forsake your vain and presumptuous desire for a second one. Religion is about turning untested belief into unshakable truth through the power of institutions and the passage of time. Um, in other words, it's institutional religion that gets people to believe things and think they're true. Faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is the belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. Kind of makes you feel like a fool for believing any of this book, huh? The majority of children born into the world tend to inherit the beliefs of their parents, and that, to me, is one of the most regrettable facts of them all. And I would agree if it were his children. Faith can be very dangerous. Oh, actually, it says very, very dangerous. And deliberately to implant it into the vulnerable mind of an innocent child is a grievous wrong. One more. I think you get the idea. Many of us saw religion as harmless nonsense. That's... But... He said, beliefs might lack all supporting evidence, but we thought if people needed a crutch for consolation, what's the harm? September 11th changed all that. Why is heaven not so real to many of us? It's because of the naturalistic thinking that is undergirds and, and underneath the thinking and the teaching and the institutions in our culture today. Whereas for these Old Testament saints, God was one of the foundations of their thinking. Naturalism is one of the foundations of our culture's thinking. Stephen Hawking wrote, we are no more than biological machines. And so our thoughts, our emotions, everything is just chemicals going on in our brain. Matter is all there is. God is not real. He only exists in the minds of religious believers. And and if you would take time to read and to study these things, you'll realize that this naturalistic thinking instead of theistic thinking that a God exists, that instead that matter is all that exists, that, that it penetrates every aspect of our culture and maybe even penetrates some of our thinking and why heaven isn't so real to us and for sure is not even an option for many of the people that we rub shoulders with because of how it's impacted our education, our courts, our psychology, our philosophy, the media, everything. 
so instead of God being the foundation, naturalism is the foundation. That matter is all there is. Instead of creation being the foundation, it's Darwinian evolution that is the foundation. That very complex organisms were produced with no mind, no purpose, random, purposeless, mindless mutations and selections. That's what's taught in our schools, right? And so that's where our university professors are and what, where our judges and, and our media, everybody in, that is at the heart of, and you're thinking this doesn't sound like a sermon, but remember this is why heaven is not real. We're going to come, come around, but if we don't understand that the reason that heaven isn't real to the world we live in, it's because of the naturalistic thinking and the Darwinian evolutionary teaching that's taught that there isn't a place for God, that it's all random, it's all purposeless, it's mindless, it's eternal matter, it's not an eternal God, then we won't understand why heaven isn't real. Stephen Hawking wrote, we don't need a creator because we have the law of gravity. Because there is a law of gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Um, if you didn't notice the contradiction, if there is already a law of gravity, the universe isn't created from nothing. There is something. Um, and so God isn't the foundation. Creation isn't the foundation. And the promise isn't the foundation because, because the promise has been reduced to superstition, to something made up in the minds of religious people um, to give us comfort um, in the midst of a world that we, we can't handle. Um, therefore, because all that is is matter and there's no God, uh, the promise is just an imaginary escape. So... Living in this world, how can heaven become real to us? How can the foundations of God and creation and the promise become just as real to us as it was to them, and even more real? Um, you know, just in passing, I would say that the first thing is we need to recognize the reality of the world we live in. If, if you're living in this world thinking that everybody believes like you believe and that God and creation and the promise are the foundation of belief, then, then you're not living in reality. And you might have a belief in heaven, and, and, and we should because I believe it's true, but you're not going to be impacting others where they're at because they're going to be smiling and thinking, that's really nice for you. I'm glad that you have something that makes you feel good. But what has happened in our world, because it's become an imagination or imaginary or an escape, it, there's this divide that's happened in our world where there's truth, which is pretty subjective, and there's fact, 
and it's all based upon naturalism and, and, and Darwinian evolution. And then there's faith. Did you notice in the, the quotes by Stephen Hawking is that he put science in the realm of fact and religion in the realm of faith as something that was an opinion or, or a good feeling or emotion, but it wasn't something based on fact. Did you, did you pick that up? That faith had nothing to do with evidence. It had nothing to do with fact. It was just this emotional kind of feel-good kind of thing. So first of all, we need to recognize that. And then I want us to look at verses 39 and 40. And, and to me, what I think is the key way that the foundations can be and need to be rebuilt by us uh, in order that heaven can be real. Let's look at verses 39 and 40. We're going to talk about them just briefly. These, meaning all these people, these people of faith, were commended for their faith. This is incredible. Yet none of them received what had been promised. They were so convinced of it None of them received it, and yet they still believed. They, none of them received it. And th- but this is the incredible. It says, since God had planned something better for us. Isn't that interesting? So that only together with us would they be made complete. What is it talking about? It's talking about the promise. It's talking about the promise. The, um, none of them received what had been promised. It's not talking about the promise of the land of Canaan because they received that. It's not talking about the deliverance and, and victory in the land of Canaan. And they received that. It's not talking about the promise of eternal life because they, they knew they had that too. It's talking about the promise. The seed, the seed of the woman who would come and crush the head of the serpent. The Messiah. The Messiah hadn't come. And they knew that that's what they were looking for. It says they hadn't received what had been promised. I mean, the Messiah hadn't come since God had planned something better for us. And I think it's not talking about Better in terms of, you know, as, as we looked at last week, the, the persecution that a lot of people of faith went through, the torture, the persecution, the suffering. It's not saying that that's going to be passed because, boy, in some parts of the world, believers are going through horrific suffering and persecution. Um, it's not talking about the hope of heaven because... That that would be for, because they believed, and that's what they were looking forward to. They were looking ahead to Christ in the same way that we look back to Christ. But God had something planned better for us. They had Christ in promise, but but we have now Christ that He's come, Christ incarnate in the flesh. Something better for us because so that together with us they would be made complete that apart from the coming of the promise and and God himself in the flesh coming and and fulfilling all the promises and and living a perfect life and and dying a propitiatory death a death on the cross for us and rising from the dead victorious that together with us what they 
looked forward to was fulfilled. It wasn't just a vain hope. It wasn't something they looked forward to, but that never happened. But, but together with us, because Christ came, together, Jews and Gentiles, people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, as it talks about in the book of Revelation, together, our hope in Christ is realized. What they looked forward to is realized. You know, it's the person of Christ that makes all the difference in the world. My friend that I was, I mentioned that I was talking to earlier this week as as we were talking about what was going on with our lives and um, she told me that she was going to a um, um, a Buddhist retreat center in a few weeks to do meditation. And uh, she's a really nice gal, and she jokingly said to me, well, you probably think that's of the devil, don't you? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, it, it can open you up to that. And, uh, and she said, well, what do you think is the difference between the meditation that I'm going to do and the meditation that, that Christians would do? And it goes exactly along with what we're talking about here. I very clearly told her the difference is the person of Jesus. It's the person of Jesus. And that's how for us, too, it's the person of Jesus that puts all this together. What, what a, a naturalist, an atheist would look at faith and they'd say there's no evidence. It's all just imagination and emotions and, and, and facts are on our side. It's the person of Jesus that puts all that together. Because who is the person of Jesus? In John 1.1 1, 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. He said, before Abraham was born, I am. He claimed to be God. He said, I am. In John 1.3 it says that, that not only was he God, but, he, but everything came into being through him. He was the creator. So he claimed to be God. He claimed to be the creator. But more important than that, in John 1.14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so there's evidence that the God of the universe, the invisible God of the universe, who created everything, came into history, came into time, into space and time that he created, and he lived. And there's historical record. There's evidence that, that God who created everything, ex nihilo, out of nothing, came and lived, and he performed miracles, and he died, and he rose from the dead with incredible evidence that nobody can refute, and it's been tried, but atheists by the scads have come to Christ as they've examined this evidence of this person of Jesus who claimed to be God, the creator of the universe, and then came and lived in his universe. And, and from the verses that were read earlier by Hannah, as it says in Colossians 1, 15 through 20, is that this Jesus, the creator of the universe, then became the new creator of this people called the church, the restore, because he was the promised one. He was not only God, creator, historical human being, but he was the promised one who came to redeem us from sin and the curse. And, 
and for everything to make sense. And so religion isn't an illusion and heaven isn't an imaginary escape, but it's centered around the person of Jesus who brings God and creation and the promise all together in his person and gives us a foundational hope that we can stand on. And, and, and someone that we can put our faith in and be confident about it and have a conviction about because of who he is. He's all of that together in his own person. What is incredible to me is these Old Testament saints looking ahead to all of that and hoping and believing in that. For us, we look back, it's, there's evidence there. It's history. So how do we respond? Three things. Just encourage you again. I've encouraged every time I've said, preached in Hebrews 11. Number one, be students of this book. There's no other way around it. You've got to be students of this book. This book has stood the test of time. It's been, you know, people have tried to rip it apart and, and destroy it, and it, it's it's historical, it's factual. There's evidence. There's archaeology. I mean, I you know, like shared before, when we were in the British Museum in in London, I mean, the, the manuscripts that are there, the, the evidence, uh, this stone tablet that w- went from Hezekiah to the king of Assyria. I mean, there's historical evidence. For the Old Testament, the New Testament, this person of Jesus, be students of this book. It says these words are true, and they are. They're not just things made up by religious people to control you. But study it. Be students of the book. The second is be students of creation. I really encourage you. It's such a foundational thing. Be students of creation. In Psalm Psalm 19, 19, it says, The heavens are declaring the glory of God. And and, uh, this universe is God's handiwork. And and it's the complexity of it, the purposefulness of it, the fine-tuning of it, the design of it. To me, it takes far greater faith to believe in Darwinian evolution (laughs) that what we see came about by a mindless, purposeless, randomless. The faith it takes to believe that, and that you get that? It all takes faith. Whether you believe that this world, this universe was created, or whether you believe that matter was eternal and it just all came about randomly without design, that takes faith. What are you going to put your faith in? I think the evidence is for a God that has eternally existed that created space and time in the universe that we live in. Be students of creation um, and let that, that study drive you to Jesus. And then be students of Jesus. He's, he's the eternal God, the creator of the universe who lived in history. And the historical evidence is there He's our promised Savior. He's our coming King. Uh, Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for 
That he, you, you, you didn't just ask us, hey, just believe. But Father, you have given us such, such your, your, your word. <laughs> You've given us creation that in Romans 1 says that we can see your eternal power and your divine nature. God, give us eyes to see. Give us hearts to understand. And as a result, Father, help us to be people that live in the reality of you and the hope we look forward to someday when, Jesus, you will come again. Amen.